1: make a statement, or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com.
2: Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. The podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now your host, Jared
3: Van Hees. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. This is the podcast for becoming better habitat managers, and I'm your host, Jared Van Hees. Co-host Brian Hallbly on the other line. What's up, B? What's going on? Well, I'm uh, excited for deer season. How about you?
1: Uh, I'm fired up, man. I don't know if you saw uh, Dave Hamm and I got a chance to go scout some public not too far from my farm, and we accessed a pretty secluded spot back behind some private ag fields, and the sun in there was unbelievable, so was I'm, I'm, really? I'm fired up, yeah, I'm I'm ready to hunt my farm, I'm ready to hunt some public, I'm ready to just get out there.
3: Okay, how much longer do you have in uh, PA? I know Ohio's uh, end of the end of September, end of this month.
2: Yeah, uh, unit 2B,
1: which I live which I live in and I hunt in in western PA here, uh going to be opening up on the 21st. So, oh, really we're, ju- we're just about 10 days away.
3: Holy cow. Yeah, you're not kidding. Are you ready?
2: Um,
1: No. <laughs> but I will be. It always comes together. But uh, you and I have become saddle hunters,
3: per yeah,
2: se.
3: we have. And
1: I'm starting to get used to that, and hopefully I'll be ready by the 21st.
3: All right. Well, we're going to dive into that topic, I guess, since you brought it up. I have been waiting for my saddle for... Well, since July uh, 17th is when I ordered, and it was delivered to my office today. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I, it's supposed to be tomorrow, but it came today, and I was over on the other side of the state driving around trying to sell bottles. So I have not picked it up yet or touched it or felt it, but tomorrow morning I will be there. So Sweet. I got I got some Hawk Helium sticks. Um, I got, got a three-pack from Cabela's. It's like on sale for like a hundred bucks, so I'm gonna do a couple mods on there and get those ready, but I uh, I'm not sure how the style thing's gonna go. I had a good friend of mine, Matt Totten. He bought one in like February, got it in in April, I believe, and just wasn't feeling comfortable in it. So i That's interesting. Yeah, so um I'm kinda wondering how this is gonna go. But the benefits that I've learned are 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 too too many, too strong to for me to to worry about my my small fear of heights and things like that that I sometimes deal with. So I'm gonna I'm gonna strap it on this weekend and I'm gonna swing around the yard and freak my kids out. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, well you
1: know me, man. I'm old school and and making changes to to stuff, especially this close to the season. I'm I'm usually not comfortable with, but I got to tell you. I got it that same day. I was up in the tree in my backyard shooting out of it, as comfortable as can be. I was blown away.
3: Did you go up high in the air?
1: No, I didn't get up too high. There's a uh, giant oak tree in my backyard. It's tough to get the straps and the ropes around it because that's that's the one tree that's set up good for where I have my target. But I was probably three foot off the ground, four foot off the ground, enough to to you know, get a feel for it and, and shoot out of it, and uh, I, I was pretty impressed with it and really comfortable.
3: It is comfortable, huh?
1: Very comfortable, and it has. The, we're talking about the tethered manas here, and Jared ordered the same one. It's it's almost infinitely adjustable, especially if you get the micro adjusters, which I did.
3: Yeah, yeah, I did as well. I I'm uh, I've never wanted to test my harness in the tree and I feel like with a saddle you're always testing it but I feel like uh, there's a couple ways to get around that with like a a Prusik knot below the rope bin and things like that where you can be safe so I just think the benefits outweigh the uncomfortableness or the weirdness I may feel right off the bat so I don't know guys stay tuned we're gonna we're doing it we're really doing it Tater
1: and the interesting thing is like you said about testing the harness and feeling the harness it's it's completely different because it's around your hips and your bottom it's not around your shoulders and your waist like the like the uh, safety harness is so it's a completely different feeling and you know i'm six foot one and in 210 pounds i'm not a little guy and i felt perfectly safe and perfectly comfortable up there
3: cool cool well i will send you some pictures this weekend of me hanging upside down in it so
1: yeah buddy
3: getting fired up now how's your farm looking i mean i was just out uh i hung a cell cam a couple days ago over the food plot got one text tonight in daylight and all my stuff's coming up real nice Uh, i know we posted a video this week too about some progress but we've been getting rain we got rain today i mean how's your place looking Are, are you done are you ready
1: Well, I'm completely done except for cereal grains, which I should have been done last week, but we hit this dry spell. We've had uh, over a week of uh, no rain, so I didn't want to put anything in the ground. Oh, really? So so I'm hoping Friday I'll get everything wrapped up. I should be done getting the rye and the oats and uh, put the killer food plots climatize and the killer food plots uh, carnage brassicas that I planted a few weeks back. I've shared some pictures of those on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram, and uh, everything's coming in great, and I think my deer may actually be eating the brassicas finally.
3: Oh, about time your spoiled deer came around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I
1: uh, I got some pictures from my cell cam. It appears that there's a bunch of does with their heads buried in it, and I'm hoping it's the brassicas and not the weeds that they're finding in there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, yeah, and, and to that point, I think you're okay with your cereal cereal grains in terms of timing. I mean, they're going to be young and tender come come opener, so I think you're going to be just fine with that.
0: Yeah, I
1: think so. I, I've had friends in Ohio plant them as late as October, and they, they've done okay. That That rye will germinate all the way down to around the 40-degree mark, I believe.
3: Okay, good tip. Good, good info there. Well, I know all this talk about deer season you know, has us fired up, but we're not really talking about deer tonight. We're talking about rabbits and small game habitat. Um, or
1: rabbitat.
3: Rabbitat. Yes, sir. That's uh, our, our guest, Larry Dame from West Michigan. He's a big contributor on some of the habitat pages that Brian and I are on on Facebook and got to talking with Larry and... We're kind of going in a different direction tonight. We want to cover some some small game style habitat improvements. So I know a lot of people who hunt deer hunt small game, uh, especially after deer season closes. And Larry is going to help us uh, learn how. So everybody, stay tuned for that. Um, we'll get right to that here in a second. I want to thank the listeners one more time for tuning into this podcast. We really love it when you guys come back and listen and and are leaving some great reviews on iTunes. So Thank you very much for that. I uh, couldn't do it without you. Um, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Killer Food Plots, the Packer Max line of call Packers. But before I go talk about the Packer Max, uh, Killer Food Plots does have free shipping on their seed, celebrating their uh, I believe that their brand new website they're celebrating. So they are offering free shipping right now. FYI, for anybody who's getting in their fall plots or spring plots uh, coming up 2020. Um, uh, Packer Max, all the packers, I just got done using my Packer Max over on the Hunt Wise farm. We put in another two food plots, actually. Um, they asked me to help them with a the second one, so we got that one done as well. And uh, the Packer Max just rolled everything right in. we have been getting some good rain. And look for that second video from Hunt Wise coming out um, with, uh, you know, no other than anybody but me. So check it out on there. And the Packer Max, you do get $50 off of any Kultipacker when you mention the Habitat podcast. Uh, Lastly, let's thank Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. I know we got one of our guys, Ryan, already went down to Kentucky and shot a velvet A-point. I know we call it Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, but we're doing an on-the-road series. And guys, if you want to follow along with some hunts this year, you know, real-time, kind of like the Hunting Public, Midwest Whitetail, how they post their stuff as the year goes by. Uh, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit does the same. So, stand by for Ryan's Kentucky Hunt. They can be found at com. Without further ado, we've uh, talked your ear off long enough, guys, on this introduction. Let's get to Larry Dame and Rabbitat. All right, everybody, welcome back. We have my co-host, Brian, on the line. And our guest tonight, Larry Dame from West Michigan. How you doing, Larry?
2: Good,
4: good.
3: Thanks for hopping on here with us.
4: Hey, no problem.
3: We we're talking just before uh, we hit the record button. You're getting some rain today, huh?
4: Right, right. Yeah, it just started this afternoon.
3: Yeah, I don't know if you guys can hear that or not. Probably not, but I just it's thundering big time over here right now, and uh, my food plots are are loving it. So. Brian, how's the weather down by you? It
1: feels like uh, late July down here, as muggy as can be. Uh, did a four-mile run here a couple hours ago, and it was like running through a bowl of gravy.
3: <laughs> I haven't heard that one before.
2: Well, there you
3: go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Larry, we, you and I were talking earlier uh this summer, I see you a lot on the Habitat Manager's page and always contributing some great information on there. And I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. We haven't talked a ton about uh, anything other than, than deer, really. I mean, it's kind of our bread and butter. But at the same time, you know, we covered a, a pond segment uh, for one podcast, which we both thought was super interesting. And, and we covered pheasants and upland birds one time. So we want to get some other people on here and talk about some different types of habitat managers and well I believe you are still a deer hunter I'm not positive but you like uh, some small game too correct? Uh,
4: yeah I probably like the small game actually better than the deers.
3: Perfect perfect well that's uh, I'm excited to get into this. Uh, we normally start this out with you know painting a picture on who the guest is where they're from all the you know good details that, that we like to hear it's kind of cool some of the stuff we uh, we learn about these people and why don't you go ahead and start that off for us if it's okay
4: well i live in i live in west michigan in allegan county uh we have uh 80 acres that we've owned for about 25 30 years i guess um i started doing some management back in the 90s i had a, a dnr write a plan for me and uh it started out we we put out a thousand autumn olives and that was long before they were considered invasive.
2: Oh really? Yeah,
4: it's great. It it's kind of one of those love me hate me. It's a great plant. It grows fast, um, makes super super cover, but it gets all those berries on it, and then the birds eat all the berries, and then they spread them all over your property, and then they <laughs> they come up, and then it's uh, it's an ongoing battle to keep it under control,
2: but.
3: Yeah, and that's, that's probably something you got to watch who you tell on that because I know a lot of habitat managers are all about taking out the invasives and if they heard Larry planted a bunch of them, uh-oh, you know. <laughs>
4: right, right, yeah. I wish I have planted a few more uh, uh, crimson, or not crimson, but um, rose little crabs rather than so much autumn olive. But
3: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it is a lot of hate with that autumn olive. I mean, I don't know if you're did to even put a dent in it if you really removed them all from your property or not. So,
4: yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. Okay. All all of our um, edges along the right way on the freeway and stuff. Just about all of them have some some form of autumn olive on them.
2: Okay. Okay.
4: There was a there was a field up by um, or some property up by where I was grew up as a kid. And there was probably about 40 acres of autumn olive, and I don't think you could walk through it standing up, and I'm not too sure you could crawl through it. I never saw anything like that. It was it was unbelievable.
3: Well, where's that at? Uh,
4: that was up by Rockford, Michigan.
3: Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm from Grand Haven, so I know that area oh, okay. yep. fairly well. Um, yep. And some of my old hunting I used to do up near uh, Mount Pleasant, which is a little further north, and tell you what, those deer were in that autumn olive. They were bedding in it.
4: Right, right. My. Yeah, I have some some of it I uh, I treat, I cut it and treat it. And then some of it I just cut it and let it re because the deer eat it and the rabbits you know. Okay. Rabbits nibble on the bark in the wintertime and it makes pretty good cover and
3: Okay, perfect. Sorry to go off track there, I just you planted about what, a thousand auto models?
4: Yeah, about a thousand. Yeah.
3: Wow. Then what? Then what happened?
4: Well then I I I pretty much, uh, you know, I was a, one of the guys that, you know, everybody always says, you know, rabbits are edge animals. So I started working on my edges, and I was, uh, you know, building brush piles and, and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know, I, I, well, I before that, I was get, I was into bird dogs and stuff, so I had some, I uh, bought some quail, and I, I ran across an article in from the Michigan Department of, Con- or Missouri Department of Conservation, and they had a uh, publication that comes out every quarterly really, I think it is, called the Cubby Headquarters. And I started reading that, and they were talking about how, how the quail cover and the rabbit cover were very, so very similar, you know. And um, so I thought, well, hey, I'm going to turn some quail loose anyway, so I'll just start doing some stuff with this. So I started getting into chop and drop, and where you just go out and cut a tree down and let it fall wherever it may, you know, let it fall where it lands, and, and, uh, use those kind of for brush piles and so i started doing more of that and had some pretty good success uh you get a lot of new growth coming up through the branches and and uh, the nice thing i like about chop and drop is if you need to move that tree to a, a better location you can just latch onto it with the tractor and drag it off someplace and have an instant brush pile almost
3: very true i've done it very true now how long have you been doing this sort of Habitat work for quail or or rabbits on your property for you said you started
4: yeah I started back in the nineties
3: okay right.
4: i i got I probably got really really deep into it in uh probably about fifteen twenty years ago i started I started running the beagle field trial, so I thought well I, we need more rabbits around here. So. <laughs> I kind of converted from the one. My bird dog died, so I kind of converted from the quail and bird dogs to rabbits and beagles and, and um uh, worked out pretty good.
3: Yeah, and shoot, you've been working on that property for 15, 20 years. I bet you can teach us a thing or two here tonight, that's for sure. So. Uh,
4: well, I, I kind of come to the conclusion probably for 25 of it I was doing it all wrong.
3: But. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's the best teacher, though. That's true.
4: Yeah. Well, it was, you know, I did have some successes, but after I uh, I attended a, one of Dr. Craig Harper's seminars, and that kind of changed my whole way of looking at a whole lot of stuff, so.
3: Yeah, he's got a funny way of doing that, doesn't he?
2: Yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he
3: does. Yeah, we had him on here, uh, oh, I don't know, about 10 episodes ago or so, and I let one of my food pots just, go this year. Haven't touched it. And uh I'm gonna see how that reacts this fall during hunting season, but feels kinda good after talking to him. Before that I would have been stressed about it.
4: Right, right. Yep. Yeah I have we have a power line that splits our property in half and uh I plan on brush hogging most of it and then spraying all the cool season grasses this fall after a couple of frosts. It's a good idea i uh, will probably disk it in November. that's a pretty good way to get uh ragweed back and some of the other stuff too. So.
3: okay so what do you uh what do you do for a living? and how did you get into hunting and habitat work how I mean you start when you were a kid or
4: yeah, I've always hunted, and I've always been outdoors. I've always liked the outdoors one way one you know one shape or another. Uh, I always fished always hunted, ran trap line for a few years. Um, when I worked, I'm retired now, but when i worked I worked for an uh, interior trades contractor we did I did estimating for drywall and acoustical ceilings and that kind of stuff, so
3: oh nice and you have you always lived in West Michigan over there?
4: um yeah, pretty much except when I was in the service. I was stationed in Missouri for a couple of years, but
3: oh, well, thank you for your service,
4: oh well,
2: thank you.
3: Yeah, of course. Brian is also a veteran, our co host here, and uh, still uh, in public service. So, you guys are a bunch of badasses, man. I love it. <laughs>
1: well, thank you for your service, too, Brian. Thank you. I appreciate that. Same to you.
3: So, appreciate the, the story there, Larry. Um, after you kind of talked to Craig Harper and you started doing the edge feathering and chop and drop, um, which we'll get into more of here. Uh, did that stuff make a difference?
2: Oh, yeah, without a
4: doubt. Without a doubt. You get that, you get the sunlight down to the ground and, and the things that just explode that are in the seed bank is just amazing. I um I went right on a fairly, not a real busy road, but a fairly busy country road that goes into Allegan. And uh, I was always worried about the dogs crossing the road and stuff, so I put a fence in one year just out by the road. And I brush hogged enough clearance there so I could work and have the fence lay out, and so I could stand it up and stuff. And the next year, I thought I knew something about wildlife habitat, but the next year I was completely blown away with what came up. There was stuff in there that was never there before. There was berry canes and shumac and wildflowers of all different descriptions, and I was like I say, I was just completely blown away.
2: Wow.
3: Were you removing, what were you brush hogging? What type of vegetation or was, plants were you looking It was brushing? just a
4: lot of, uh, mostly weeds and stuff. I just wanted to make some room so that I could lay the fence down to, to you know, when I stood the, the um, actual fence up. It, it wasn't getting entangled in a bunch of stuff all the time. Uh, there okay. were a lot of uh, um, box elder and stuff in there, too, that came down, so.
3: Okay, and how how did all of this uh, match up with your your DNR plan? Have you had a DNR plan or a DNR officer or a, oh, uh, forestry yeah. person back out there since the original?
2: Um, yeah, I, I
4: sort of abandoned that plan. I mean, I, I I did when I planted the autumn olive, I pretty much followed what they suggested, and that was you know doing like four to seven rows in a border so they could turn into a travel way. And I pretty much did that. I ran a border across the, along the power line, and then I uh, put another border in on the other side of the power line, and then I put a couple borders in that are perpendicular to that. And uh, so that's kind of what I've been working at and with off and on for the last 25 years or so. Nice. I didn't. They, they recommended doing some switchgrass and... Some other things, but I didn't I didn't
1: do
2: that. Now, because switch, gears,
1: but, so switch that, gears a little bit on you, Larry. Uh Jared mentioned an interesting term and I've I haven't heard it until today. It's the first time I heard it. It's called rabbitat. You wanna uh go into what is rabbitat with us? Sure. Uh what I call rabbitat is
4: you know, the typical stuff, weedy fence rows and uh brushy edges. Um, here I have a lot of sassafras. Probably that's the predominant tree that I have in the front part of my property. And so what I have been doing there is I've been um cutting the bigger sassafras out so that I get the younger shoots coming up. And that is that has worked really, really well. Um I've also done that with some with some shoemac too, I cut. Uh, probably a half a dozen Schumack last year that were maybe an uh, inch and a half, two inches in diameter. And I had a <laughs> – I bought some of those little uh, flags that you put out to mark the, like, mark sewage lines and stuff. Right. I had 30 of those. And I ran out. I went to the store and bought 100 more, and those ended up being all gone. So those half a dozen little shoemacs that I cut down probably uh, generated about a, over 100 sprouts.
2: Wow.
1: Oh. What is it about the sassafras and the sumac that the rabbits like so much?
4: Oh, they eat the bark a lot in the wintertime, and that's plus it provides some pretty good cover. Um, but that's primarily what I've been working on more this year is uh, more about winter foods, trying to increase my berry production or my berry canes and also my sumac and sassafras. And of those, uh, both.
1: Grow up from the root balls, or how are they getting? From? Yeah, they
4: they come up from the from the roots.
1: Okay.
4: They pretty much um, they must come up from the seeds too, because even where I have like a, a stand of sassafras, there's a little tiny sassafras is growing up all over in them. Sure. Uh, they must come up from seeds as well as from the from the uh, roots.
3: Now, I'm not sure okay. if this is true or not, but every. They're, they're like taking over my my yard here at my house, having kind of right in the edge where the sunlight hits. And I've heard that you can cut them off, and like you said, where the roots go, maybe five foot left, five foot right, twenty foot left, they'll send up shoots straight out of those roots twenty feet away. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. they're a pain in the ass to get rid of. But if you if you like rabbits on your property, they're probably great then, right? Right.
2: Right.
4: <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 They are. Somebody said they make pretty good fence posts, but I'm not.
1: I haven't been able to confirm that yet.
2: Mm. Whatever your uh,
1: some of your other favorite habitat ideas or strategies besides the sassafras and sumac.
4: Well, I read an article on the habitat page that some guys were using corrugated um, four-inch drain tile. They use like a ten-foot length. They put that underneath their brush piles, and the theory is that the snakes, which would feed on the little rabbits in the springtime don't like those corrugations so they don't go in there so it really? supposedly protects the baby rabbits better That's interesting. i know in the wintertime they beat be their, they just beat a path right to that drain tile
2: really okay. I mean, it's, wow. they're, just
4: a, they're just a trail right through the snow you know exactly where they went and the same thing when i go out and run the dogs even in the you know in the spring and in the fall and stuff as soon as they lose it in that one of those brush piles with that uh, Screen tile underneath it, you know where he went. <laughs> he went right into that tube, and he ain't gonna come out.
1: Right. Now, is there a uh, size or a uh, best way that you have a, a method to build these brush piles?
4: Um, I like I like just to do the chop and drop. I mean, I cut, I burn wood too, so I, um, you know, I save all the brush and then I stack the brush. But you know, you see all the diagrams about the the classic ones where you start with a 12- or 14-inch log on the bottom, and then you put some 8- or 10-inch logs on top, and then you put some more logs on top, and, and eventually you put brush over the whole thing. But okay. just cap and drop is just so much easier. The, the,
2: yeah.
4: Everything comes right up through the middle of it, and and uh, it makes super habitat. And I've, I've found that the, the bigger ones may be more protective, but I've found in in hunting and running dogs that more likely than not you're going to jump a rabbit out of a smaller, more open brush pile than one that's that's rather large and and pretty well built. So right. Somebody says they don't like to be they like to sit on the edges where they can
1: see, and that that sort of makes sense. So sure. Yeah, I can I can remember some of those old hunting magazines. They'd show like a diagram of like building an old log cabin where you would stack up the logs in a square and then start putting your brush on top of it. I've built a few of those in the in my days. Yeah. yeah, So what does that offer the rabbit? What by putting in the uh, tile pipe or doing the logs like you said? What what does that type of uh, brush pile offer for the rabbit? Well, I
4: like I like the ones that are more open. Um, I mean, I keep adding to them. If I build one, I when I like if I cut my my automolled back, I take those brush pile or take those branches and those limbs and throw those up on top and kind of just keep renewing them every year and regenerating them, trying to. um, Okay. Mostly, it's just you know protection. And I cut an elm about 20 years ago, I think and just let it fall, and I think I have recut the sprouts off of that thing three different times now.
2: <laughs> no, that's great.
4: I, I really like Elm. It, um, especially if I hinge cut it and leave it attached, it seems to last for a long, long time. Like I say, these, some of these are 20 years old at least. Wow. And uh, I I was out last winter just kind of walking around, and, and after I'd done some of these chopping drops and stuff, and... I was just out, kind of walking around, and I was kind of amazed at what the rabbits ate because they—they they were. I had some maples that were down, and they stripped the branches. You know, they stripped all the bark off of those. I had some oak; they stripped the bark off of those, and they stripped the bark off the elm, and they completely—they turned all that um, shumac that I cut down. They turned all that gray bark to white.
1: That was all completely gone. So, okay. Now, is that pretty unique? If somebody's out looking for. Uh, rabbit browse on the bark like that is it pretty easy to find
4: yeah it's pretty pretty easy especially in the winter time you know it it, uh i do you know probably wouldn't find it so much on the on the bigger trees unless somebody cut them down somehow but sure that's one thing i i guess i've learned to do is be a lot more observant than i ever used to be and yeah. I take a walk almost every morning, so I'm always looking to see what got gnawed on. And,
2: nice. and
4: uh, you know, from you guys' standpoint, whatever you do for the rabbits is pretty much beneficial for the deer, too. Uh, and I see the deer browsing on my uh, uh, shumack, or not my shoemaker, yeah, shoemac when it first comes up early. And then uh, I see them browsing on the sassafras, too, now that the, the sprouts are, you know, three, four feet tall.
1: Uh, okay. Now what about uh non wood settings like uh old fields. Is there anything that you can do with uh old fields to make it better for rabbits? Um, yeah.
4: I wish I have one I have one section in one of my fields that I've been wanting to burn for a long, long time and I just haven't they say to burn it in the fall and uh I just it seems like the fall is never dry to burn. It's always either raining or else all of a sudden we got snow or something, so Okay. Um, I have disc some fields and had some pretty good luck, uh, especially with ragweed. I like to do that, like in November. Right. Um, that's that tends to really bring ragweed on the next year. Um,
1: so whether you're burning or discing, you're just trying to get the uh, seed in the seed bank brought up with some new growth.
4: Right. 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 Okay. Cut down on some of the grass and
1: some of the weeds and. Right. Now, how will the rabbits use those old fields? Are they just in there for feeding or are they, uh, nesting in there or?
4: Are uh, they a little both? They nest in them, they feed in them.
1: Um, depends on what
4: there is to feed, but usually in the old fields, you usually get some kind of thickets, gray dogwood or shumac or something coming in after a couple of three years. And so they have a place for cover there. And then if you got the right kind of plant structure, um, there's some pretty good cover in there too.
2: Okay.
1: Now, is there anything you would go in and uh, fill up, or maybe like a food plot for rabbits? Is there anything like that that you do specifically for them?
4: Yeah, I have I have done a couple of things. I did oats one spring. Um, I tried some uh, grain sorghum just more as an experiment, um, just to see what kind of cover it would provide. And uh, I got my when I on my planter, I got my sprocket and my my um, planter plate. I didn't take into account the number of cells that were in the plate. That's right. when I planted it, it came up about three quarters of an inch apart. So
2: <laughs> oh, wow.
4: <laughs> it did grow. It got to be about two feet tall, but and it did head out, but not n- anywhere near what it should have. Sure. You know? sure. I do I do cow peas. Um I'm gonna I plan to do wheat and my I do have some fire breaks that I haven't used yet, but I plan to put some wheat in those. All right, wheat and crimson clover. And I'll probably um, just uh, broadcast some
1: medium red clover in in a few spots. Yeah, you're not kidding. I mean, the same stuff we're doing for deer, it sounds like basically what you're doing for the rabbits also.
4: Right, right, yep.
1: Yep. I've even noticed, like, uh, with my food plots, I've been doing a lot more edge feathering. And, uh, boy, just this summer alone, I've been walking around some of these giant, fat cottontails I've been seeing I thought you know what I might have to start doing a little more rabbit hunting around here yeah oh
4: it's amazing it's just amazing I I did one a couple years ago and I think uh, that first spring I think there were 10 or 12 different kind of plants growing up in it Uh,
3: yeah it's funny you say um the edge feathering I I was trying to drop a few trees and and dragged them across to make a barrier in the middle of my food plot this year for some deer directing, if you will, and a couple of those trees I didn't get around to dragging until a few months later, and uh, I tell you what, this one cherry tree that I dropped, I bet I kicked a rabbit out of it every time I was there, and it was probably three, four times in a row after I dropped it. I kicked a rabbit out of it. It was just one tree that fell into the food plots. All it was, it's probably ten feet out from the edge of the the woods. It wasn't big. I tell you what, you're not kidding. I mean, you you named it, and I I saw it this year. They they were in it. The edge feathering worked, and and there's more rabbits than I've ever come across so far.
4: Right, right. No, it's and it it's easy, you know takes yeah. five minutes to cut a tree down and and uh, let it lay there, you know. Yeah, it's, they're not they're not always successful. I did one back. I have a, a the back half of the property is pretty much wooded, and uh, I cut a few trees along the edge of the woods uh, four or five years ago, and I thought, boy, the rabbits are really, really going to be in there, all full of uh, black raspberry canes and all kinds of stuff. I've never jumped a rabbit out of it. Oh, really? <laughs> But then this this past spring, I did a little bit of timber stand improvement on a on just a corner of a of the wood lot, and uh, after I got that kind of cleaned up a little bit, I went out there about three or four weeks ago and I, j- I jumped two rabbits at the same time. They were both out there. I got a cover on both sides, and they were both right there in the cover. And, uh, so, doesn't always work, but ninety nine percent of the time it will.
3: Which one of the rabbits was you a shot at? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, well, they—I mean, I came back up and went back out a little bit later. One of them was still had come back out again.
2: So oh, nice. That
4: was, uh, yeah, you—you know, you can't be afraid of making a mistake because uh, Mother Nature is pretty forgiving. And even if you screw it up, she'll come back and fix it for you somehow.
3: Yeah, you're—you're you're not kidding about that. I mean, if you think about it, right—the chop and drop or the edge feathering—it's really the natural way Mother Nature would do it. I mean, if a tree falls, you know, it creates all that cover, and the forbs are able to grow up through it without being nibbled on or by deer or anything else. And the birds lay on the branches and have their droppings for fertilizer. I mean, it's just pretty darn neat how all that works.
4: Right. And the chop, you know, the chop and drop when you leave the limbs on it and stuff like that. All the, you know, the brush nesting birds, like the, um, and that kind of thing—they all nest in there too. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be a living bush for them to live in the nest. In
3: sure. it. Right, 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 right. right. So. Okay. Um, are there any recommendations when you do edge feather? Before we move on to winter foods here, I mean, are you—is there a certain size tree that you pick to drop, or certain species? Does it matter?
4: I don't think it really matters. I I I'd probably pick the smaller. You know, six, eight-inch ones. Okay. Most of the time. I think it's too much bigger than that. They're worth more for firewood. But
2: gotcha. And That's
4: usually, that's usually the, the size I, I look for is something six, eight inches or so.
3: Okay. And I probably should have asked you this earlier, but what does your 80 acres look like? You said there's some woods in the back. Um, do you have a lot of topography or... A lot of open area. Um, I guess explain well, to me what a perfect uh, rabbit habitat looks like.
2: When we when
4: when we first bought this property from my mother-in-law, you could sit on the road and you could see the knoll where we built our house. And now in the wintertime you can't even see our house because it's all grown up so much. I I spent probably most of my time in the southern 20 acres, which is more old field type. Habitat um I spend most of my time there and and uh, I'm just now starting to get into working on the other side of the driveway, which is more dogwood thickets and kind of kind of low land um a few ash and that kind of thing okay but a couple of years ago well, probably three or four years ago um consumers came through and mowed underneath the the electric lines uh, toward, that are out towards the road and uh, that has just exploded in the last couple of years. You're know, all kinds of wildflowers, and and um, the gray dogwood's coming back, and so.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're literally explaining, like, good deer habitat. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. Well, I actually, um, on one of my walks, I was, uh, I went up, I live right next door to my brother-in-law, so I went around up by his place, and I was coming back across that, where they had mowed underneath those lines, and there were a couple of deer beds in there. So, but I have two or three deer beds in my open field too. So, okay, and that's pretty much just, uh, for the most part, it's a lot of grass and a lot of um, goldenrod right now. Yeah, quite a bit of quite a bit of dewberry. Um, the one the one field I've been, I tried to, I have a John Deere. Um, two-row planter, and I wanted to see if I could no-till with it, so I planted some cowpeas up in one section of it, and uh, it would have done a lot better. I didn't kill any of the existing vegetation first. But that is, I'm just kind of letting that grow normal, because it does have some uh, native red top in it, and there's some uh, broom sedges coming in, so that little piece, I just kind of leave to its own. Okay. And Just let it do whatever it's going to do, but
3: so if you have all this good rabbit and deer habitat, who shoots your deer? <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, I don't get very many of them. My wife usually gets a couple with a car
1: now and
3: then. So. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I mean, I, I just it's uh, you know, I I don't know who said it years ago, um, but old field and just old field and and like upland bird type habitat, I've always, it's always resonated with me that is good deer habitat too. And then, you know, all we're talking about tonight, old field, food plots, edge feathering, that type of thing. Shoot, you got to have some deer on there, too, I'd imagine. Yep, yep. Very cool, very cool. All right, well. Yeah, oh, go ahead.
4: No, I say there's, there's a few around. There's a few around. Okay. There's, yeah. a, there's a doe with a set of triplets, and there's another doe that's got a set of twins. and I run across them every now and then.
3: Yeah, I mean you're you're in a good area too. Allegan's uh, yep. good area for for some decent deer hunting too, and, and waterfowl as well. I used to hunt the Todd Farms down there a while back.
2: Oh yeah, yep. You ever been there? Uh,
4: yeah, a couple times. Okay. Couple times. I haven't been. I haven't been in a long time. I did when I was a kid.
2: Um, yeah.
4: I went with my brother-in-law one time, and I think there were, were six or eight of us, and we all ended up. We figured one of out of the Oh, group, somebody would get a good blind, but none of us did. We all ended up pretty much all in the same area up in the <laughs> where it's all just oaks.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's how a lot of those uh, state-ran, draw-type hunts work. Yeah, we, we were the same way. I don't know if we ever got some good areas, but we shot a couple of birds down there. It's, it's a cool area. I always liked Dalligan. Yep.
4: Yeah, it's a, nice, it's a nice, neat area over there. Neat area.
3: Okay, well... Moving into winter foods, you were stressing how important, you know, winter foods are. And I guess that's true for, for any species that we're managing this habitat for. Um, how, do, how do you know that it's important or, or how did you know that you need to do better at, at improving your land for winter food? Like what was the thing that ticked you off on that where you're like, okay, I got to add some more food in the winter here?
2: I just, um,
4: I don't know, I mean, I've, I've always read the magazines too, you know, and they always talk about Schumack in the wintertime and stuff, and,
2: and I was out there one day and looking,
4: and I thought, you yeah, know, I wonder if I, if I cut this, I wonder if it'll regenerate, so that was kind of the catalyst, I guess, for doing it. Um, I knew that there was, I never, you know, I don't find any star rabbits, so I knew there there's probably food there, but I thought, well, maybe if I can you know, enhance it a little bit, give them a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll improve. Maybe in the spring I'll have more. And um, well, that was kind of what led me down that path, I guess.
3: Okay. Um, and you mentioned sumac and sassafras, and you mentioned a term I haven't heard called berry canes. Is that a term for something else I'd recognize, or, or what is? what do you mean by that, berry canes? Well,
4: it's just like blackberry canes. And- yeah, okay briars, basically.
3: Yeah, I have those on my property. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and what else are you doing for some winter food? You mentioned some stuff you're planting for food plots. Um, is there a certain type of vegetation that they love the most?
4: Well, this year, I'm gonna, this year, like I said, I'm going to try some wheat and some um, clover. Um, and that will last, you know. They'll they'll hit that until the snow covers it up. I'm sure. Okay. And then, uh, you know, once winter takes over, then it's more bark and twigs and that kind of thing. So.
3: Yeah, very similar to a deer. Okay.
4: Right. Yep. Yep. I have uh, I have one elm that I cut a few years ago, and the thing looks like a footstool. It's just rounded. The, the stump is <laughs> just it it's looked like somebody went out and manicured it. Actually, it's just. <laughs> Wow. Well, somebody, I, that, that, the deer keeping trimmed down pretty good. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, the guys,
4: when we have our field trials, the guys like to come to my house because they're like usually rabbits.
3: Oh, really? What do you mean by field trials? What do you guys do there? Just playing with the All dogs, right, training them, or? or?
2: Uh,
4: well, we have a, it's a NKC um, organization that does a little pack. On um, field trials, usually do uh, three to five dogs in a cast. And then you run, you, um, they assign a judge, and you run for an hour, and then the judge scores your dogs. And...
3: Okay. Quick, uh, quick sidebar. Do you know anybody who runs dogs from, well, he used to live in Grand Haven, by the name of Matt Sanders? Yes. You know Matt?
2: Yep.
4: Yep.
3: <laughs> Yeah,
4: member of our club, as a matter
3: of fact. Okay, I, it's all coming together now. I've uh, I've known Matt since I was a kid. Uh, I went to high school and graduated with his brother Mike. Oh,
2: okay,
3: yep. Once you started saying these trials and this and that, I remember some of his Facebook posts and um, and I figured you got to know him. I mean, you're not that far apart. Right, right. Yeah, he he's a good guy, and I think he actually just started a podcast for uh, hounds. For a beagle? Yeah, I and, think, I think he did, house. too. I
4: think somebody said he was going to do one.
3: Okay. Oh, well, cool. Cool. I'll have to tell him I talked to you. That's great.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Small world.
3: Seriously. Seriously. Um, And one more thing I'm, that I wanted to cover on this. Um, I have a little water hole I put in. We talked about it on one of our episodes with a guy named Teddy. He just puts in these little plastic totes in the ground for deer. Uh, you know, filled with water, and they stay pretty full. I find deer, raccoons, and I've I've seen this summer a ton of rabbits and baby rabbits all around it. I don't know if they're drinking out of it or not because my camera was set a little bit too high. Um, do you know anything about rabbit watering holes? Is that even a term I should be using? I mean,
2: you. Usually they say they get all the
4: all the uh, moisture they need from the from the grasses and the weeds that they eat.
2: Okay. Okay.
4: So I, I've never uh, I've never played with a, with um, any kind of water watering hole for a rabbit.
2: Well, yeah. Bes- them,
3: besides, like Bambi or for something. The dogs and... In
4: the summertime, so if they're running, they can find a place to get a drink.
3: But... Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Besides, like some Disney movie, I don't I can't say I've ever seen a rabbit drink out of anything either. So.
4: <laughs> uh, inter- interesting. I
1: might have to, uh, might have to play with that a little bit.
3: Hey, you, don't,
1: don't they put water bottles in pet rabbit cages?
3: Oh, you're right.
1: Oh, well, that would work too.
3: Yeah, that with works. the little metal straw.
1: Yeah, yep. so I'm assuming that they drink at some point.
4: That would be politically politically correct, right? You got the metal straw.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh baby, yep. You ready right about that?
1: Another question for you, Larry. I've always heard this over the years. Uh, guys will say, "Oh, there's a lot of rabbits around this year. Uh, coyote populations must be down." Is there, is there any truth to that? Does one uh, offset the other?
4: My my personal opinion is, if you've got good quality habitat, the predators aren't here as much of an issue. Right. I just uh, I don't have any any way really to back that up. It's just. Sort of common sense. Coyotes are, are, um, you know, they're just predators. They're going to take the easiest thing they can find, and a lot of times that's either mice or wolves or something else. You know, they got to fight their way through a thick stand of uh, briars and all kinds of other stuff. They may be looking elsewhere. That's,
0: like I say, I don't have any. I've never tracked any rabbits.
4: You know, like with any kind of electronic devices to see if there's any sure. difference, but I think so far I've only found uh, I found a rabbit leg uh, a couple days ago, and that's the first sign of predation that I've seen all all summer. So,
2: oh, okay.
4: I mean, I yeah, don't, that, that doesn't mean that nothing got them, but
1: yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you've got healthy habitat, it's like deer with their fawns, or or any other prey species. If they've got good habitat to live in and hide their their young in, they're going to do well. Right.
4: And that's kind of where I got away from the edge, the edge or not the edge feathering, but just concentrating on the edge. Because if you got the right, if you can get it all blended in together, the edge isn't here as important as it used to be. You know, if you got if all you have is a is a big crop field, you got a hundred acres of corn or something, and you have just a little brushy edge along the end, yeah, that's where the rabbits are going to be. But if you take that hundred acres and turn it into old field or Something with some thickets and that kind of stuff in it.
1: Those rabbits are going to be everywhere in that field.
2: Okay. Now, what's your favorite
1: way to hunt the rabbits? Uh, with a dog. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't shoot. I don't shoot many,
4: very many, because the dead ones don't run very good. Yeah. I'd
2: rather
4: really just listen to the dogs.
1: Right. Right. Now, do you eat many of them?
4: Yeah, if I if I do get one, I eat them. Yeah, yep.
1: yep. What's your favorite recipe,
3: Brian? He stole my question. No. Nice
4: job. <laughs> <laughs> well, my wife just puts them. She just puts them in an oven and bakes them for about an hour and a half, two hours, and then she just browns them in a cast iron skillet, and that's about the good way that I've had.
2: Okay, that sounds good. It'd
4: probably be great <laughs> in a crock pot. I just haven't done any yet. Yeah.
3: So rabbit season goes till, is it end of March? Yep, yep. Okay. So you're out there in the wintertime after everything else is pretty much wrapped up. That's pretty cool. You can go out there and continue hunting on throughout throughout the, the winter.
2: Right,
4: yeah. Yeah, a lot of the places that we run our field trials on, uh, a lot of guys are deer hunters and they won't even let us in until after the first of January, so...
3: Well, yeah, I'm thinking you're going in there bisking in November. I'm thinking, oh man, your deer hunting neighbor's got to be like, what's he doing over there?
4: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I try to, even here. I try to give them at least the first the first week. I give them, and then um, if I decide to run dogs after that, I wait until you know mid morning, lunchtime, somewhere in there, and run dogs for an hour on my place. But yeah, I usually give them at least a full week. to, to hunt
3: around me. So. No, that's very polite of you. Thanks for that. That's nice. Now, I well, I was going to ask you a favorite recipe question, but like I said, Brian stole that. I wrote that down about 20 minutes ago. Good job, Brian. That's how we know you're a great co-host. Um, yes, yeah, buddy. Now, how about breeding? When do rabbits normally breed? Would it be after, right after rabbit season?
4: Yeah, well, sometimes they... Depends on what the weather is, but yeah, there, there's been times that uh, they're bred before the season's over. They oh. probably start breeding the first part of March.
3: Okay, and then do and you then they don't have breed uh... all the way up
4: into September? I mean, we're still seeing little rabbits. Oh, really? Yeah, not brand newborns, but maybe a third grown or a quarter grown.
3: Yeah, I guess I guess the ones I've been seeing this summer were really small. Um, yeah. Like yeah, they'll breed now. right
4: up in, I mean, they're probably still breeding now.
3: So they'll have multiple litters then, I assume?
4: Yeah.
3: Okay. You know that I'm term sure it has everything to do with it,
4: but it, they breed quite a bit. They've been breeding for a long time.
3: Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Everybody uses that term, you know, breeding like rabbits, if you will. So that yep. makes sense. Yep. Okay.
4: Well, everything out everything out there wants to eat them, so they got to produce a lot of them.
3: That's true. Now, do you do any trapping?
4: Um, I haven't in quite a few
2: years. I used to. I used to run really good, good line.
3: Okay, but unless you're seeing a bad predation problem, you're not too worried about it usually.
2: Right. Right.
3: Okay. Yeah,
4: I'm not. I don't spend a lot of time. I, you know, I got a few cats running around, but I'm not wild about it.
3: Wow. Okay. Um, what are you doing? Right now in September, this time of year for for habitat work on your property, or or when do you do your habitat work? Are you are you done, Are you doing so, something now, or?
2: Uh,
4: it's kind of in between. I'm kind of planning for um, late winter. Okay. most most of the most of the cutting that you're going to do to regenerate is going to be in the dormant season. So uh, I already got a few uh, Schumach marked that I'm going to take down about November. And then uh, I've got in the back in the woods I've got a couple of stands of aspen that I plan to clear cut, um, probably in the winter time. So
2: okay. Those
1: those will be more for deer than rabbits. But. Now, Larry, the uh, fur trade has been pretty volatile in the last few years. You know anything about the rabbit pelts? Are they worth anything nowadays?
4: Uh probably
1: not. Yeah.
4: That's for one, they're
1: hard to, to
2: skin
4: because they're so, they're so thin that they're hard to they're hard to get a good skin out of, and and um, there's so many you know there's so many tame rabbits that people skin out and stuff, but yeah,
2: right,
4: yeah, it wouldn't even be worth messing with a rabbit. Plus, I'm not sure they really actually have any fur, you know, compared to like a muskrat or a beaver or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think they used them in the past a lot for, like, accessories for, like, collars and hats and stuff, but I don't think there's a big calling for them today, but I could be wrong. Right.
4: Yeah, they used to use a lot of them for uh, lucky charms, and my dad always used to say it can't be too lucky.
2: <laughs> Rabbit lost his feet. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I like that. Now, Larry, is uh, there's a question I always ask everybody, and Get some interesting answers sometimes. If you had to pick a favorite tree on your property for either rabbit hunting or just habitat work in general, or uh, maybe a food supply, what would be your favorite?
4: Oh boy, well, maples are always on my chopping block. <laughs> I, I just I just don't have a whole lot of use for maples.
2: Okay. Um, Amen. <laughs> so
4: that would probably be that would that's always the first one i take down and
2: you know like i say the
4: the um the stump will sprout and the rabbits will, the rabbits will chew on those you know those shoots and the deer will chew on them and then the rabbits will strip the bark off the the um branches and stuff so but yeah it's, the second would probably be sassafras i just like the cover that comes back from sassafras it's I got some stuff out there that I cut uh, the year before last, I think, that's probably about three or four foot tall, and it's probably plenty of, you know, once the snow gets in there, they'll be able to
1: get that nice tender stuff at the top. My friend Roger Roger coined the phrase, death to the maples, and him and I go out on our properties and we just fire up the chainsaw, and that's, that's all we attack, because we feel the same way about them that you do, Larry. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know, I just, it's not one of my favorites.
3: <laughs> you guys talking soft maple, hard maple, both?
1: Yeah, probably Mo- both. Yeah, mostly soft where I'm at, but we've got both.
3: Okay. Yeah, I got a bunch of soft on mine due to the fact they like the the wet feet, so. Right, right. Okay. Larry, anything else you want to cover? I know you're always on the Habitat Manager page, starting conversations and and coming across and shedding light with a bunch of different good information. I mean, is there anything cool or new that uh, maybe we should know about with our listeners? Anything that you come across recently that's kind of an interesting conversation?
4: Uh, Not that I can think of right off the top of my head. I I kind of get a big kick out of the guys that, that... you know, about have cardiac arrest if they get a weed coming up in their <laughs> soybeans or something, you know, and I keep I keep saying, you know, you ever stop and think that the weed that's coming up might be worth more than what the soybeans are that you planted. I mean there's some pretty good weeds out there and and uh I know Doctor Harper one time he's a, he's got a uh a video out one time and the guy asked him if you could only keep one tool, what would it be? And he says if I if I had to choose one, it would be fired. And then he says, second, I would pick herbicides, and third would be a chainsaw. And he says, if you've got those three things, you can provide everything that a deer's ever going to need, not plant one single seed. And it's pretty much true for the rabbits, too. I mean, I, I like to mess around with the food plot, and I like to experiment and see what works and see what kind of cover I can, I can make out of um, what I plant, but they really aren't necessary. They're just fun.
3: Wow, well said, well said. Good point. That's some great advice, and uh, you know, probably a, a good place to wrap this up, Larry. I want to thank you for coming on tonight, sir.
4: Well, I sure appreciate it. I I posted on Facebook I was going to do this, and I, I'm scared and excited both. So. <laughs> hey,
3: that's how Brian and I feel every time we record a podcast. So.
2: Oh yeah, for
3: sure. <laughs> no, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you know, if, if you want to hang on after the after we hit the stop button here, we'll we'll chat a little more. But uh, thanks so much again, Larry. Really appreciate it, Brian. Anything else from your end?
1: No, I think we covered a uh, lot of good info on rabbits that I'd never thought about before.
3: Yeah, I think it's just cool to to cover this new stuff. I learned a, a ton about it. And and Larry, if anybody wants to reach out to you with any questions or anything, is What's a good way to reach you? Is Facebook a good way? or?
2: Yeah,
4: Facebook's probably the best. Um, either Habitat Managers or uh, Great Lakes Beaglers. Okay. Michigan Beaglers, any of those.
3: Okay, great. Excellent.
4: All right, well, I sure appreciate it.
3: All right, guys. Thank you, Larry, for coming on the podcast. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in once again. Really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I always like talking about something new and rabbit or rabbit habitat is something i know nothing about so now i do brian what did you think about that podcast
1: yeah it's great information Uh, a lot of stuff that i didn't know about before i mean you always hear about deer living you know from four feet and below and uh, it just makes sense that anything you would do for rabbits or anything you do for deer is going to benefit the other one and right Picked up a lot of good info and some new tips that uh, I might try to do over the winter here when I'm dropping some trees.
3: Yeah, I mean, honestly, if I'm going to go out there now after deer season, I'm going to tote along the shotgun. You know, I mean, like I said in the podcast, I've picked up a few, and and my daughters might not approve, but I'd like to whack one or two and and try his recipe there and see how they taste.
2: Yeah, it's
3: a great idea. Well, I'd like to thank Larry once again. I'd like to thank our sponsors. We have Packer Max Cult Packers, Killer Food Plots, Hunt Wise, Dip That Hydrographics, The Habitat Hook, and 5-2 Outdoors. I know, guys, uh, last minute you want to get one of those lazy man blinds up on your property. Make sure you give Dale a call over at 5-2. He will wipe the sales tax right off the top. Or I should say the bottom line uh, if you pick up a blind over his place in southern Michigan. Very close to uh, Ohio, Indiana. You know, pretty centrally located. So check him out at 5 two Outdoors on Facebook. And then anybody who hasn't heard of us yet or who would like to hear more of us, all of our episodes are on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean. Wherever you can get a podcast that we're on there. Uh, HabitatPodcast.com is the number one place I recommend you all go. Um, we're putting all our episodes up on there. And then we also have a YouTube and Instagram that we're heavy act, uh, users on there. So please check that out and you know give us some feedback. Show us what you do doing in the woods these days and just keep on listening. So, guys, thanks again. Thanks for becoming Better Habitat Managers with us. And we'll be back next week with another podcast.
2: That has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6'8 western western. Oh, will there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king. But who will take his throne Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver. Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.